Hey everybody, I'm Amber. And I'm Maggie. And this is Crime Country. Today we're in Washington, D.C. So Washington, D.C. isn't actually a state in the U.S., but it is a district. It's a federal district that doesn't belong to any state. Oh, so, like the Hunger Games. Yeah, but like way smaller. That's <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of the Hunger Games. Is Washington, D.C. Um, Washington, D.C., or the District of Columbia, as is its formal name, is the capital of capital city of the United States. It's located on the Potomac River, bordered by Maryland and Virginia, and it was named for George Washington, for the Washington part, and then D.C., it's a district of the country, and Columbia was the name of, like, a female representation of our country there was like this female picture of someone called columbia and she represented the united states so it was washington district of columbia and it's just everything american basically it's one of the most visited cities in the united states with over 20 million visitors a year as of 2016 The city is a federal district under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Congress and does not belong to any state. That's what I was trying to say at the beginning. (laughs) I have no idea. Like, is it terrible that I didn't know this? No, and then when I started doing research this week, I was like, this is really hard to find crimes for D.C. because it's not like a state. And Spencer was like, you don't have to do it. And I was like, but I said I was going to already. So I do. <laughs> and he was like, okay. <laughs> and so I was like, and then I was, I was doing more. It was getting later in the day. And I was like, should I tell Amber we should just move on to the next state? And then I was like, no, she probably already picked one. I picked it super last minute because I was struggling too. And when I was doing research, I would like get into my story. But then it'd be like and Virginia. Then... And you'd be like, well, is it in Virginia or DC? Which is it? Yeah. And then I was like, fuck. This is Washington, like, state. state. Oh, shit. And I'm like, motherfucker, because I read through, like, a big, long article that I was really interested in, uh-uh. and I was like, shit, I, was <laughs> like, I can't even do this, because it's not fucking Washington, D.C., it's Washington State, because it's, like, Walla Walla, and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> you should have just done it, and then, like, and this happened in Walla Walla, which is in the United States. And D.C. is the capital of that country where this <laughs> took place. Continuing on. Yeah. So I was, I was going to mention that when I started talking, I was going to say this week was hard for me because I kept getting fucking Washington State and not D.C. See, and then I was like trying to Google stuff with D.C. in it to just make sure it was in D.C. But there's people that go by D.C. So it was pulling up these, like, criminals that call themselves, like, D.C. Johnson. And I'm like, no, that's not what I want. This is not, no, I'm not looking for this, D.C. Johnson. I need Washington, District of Columbia. (laughs) Okay, so this is the first time we're not doing an actual state. But it's the... One of the most visited cities in our country, and it's estimated to have about 700,000 residents in the city as of 2019, which is more than both Wyoming and Vermont. Wow. Yeah, because it's not even, it's not very big. No, uh, it's very populated, though. If you visit D.C., 
there's a just bunch of political shit you can see. There's the White House. <laughs> there's the National Mall, which is not a mall at all. It's like a big long park and you can walk it to go to the Lincoln Memorial and the Capitol, the Washington Mon Monument, the National World War II Mo Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial Reflecting Pool, all sorts of memorials for like all the different wars, lots of museums in DC. If you like politics, you want to learn about politics, you want to learn about the US history of politics and wars, go to DC. I bet you'll see a lot of people in suits. I personally have no desire to ever go there. It seems really crowded and like too much for me. I kind of would want to go there and this is going to sound really stupid. <laughs> Probably not as much as stupid as what I was thinking, but you go first. I don't understand how like Washington DC is where the United States president is, but DC is not a state. Like, I just think that's weird to me. And just the positioning of it, because it's like mushed in all of the states, but it's not like that. And I'm, I feel so stupid because how did I not know these things? <laughs> well, if Alexander Hamilton taught me anything, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton! <laughs> it's that. These things happen behind closed doors, but the decision to move the, the capital to DC was made in exchange for Hamilton to have uh, his tax plan put into place. <laughs> Damn it, now I need to watch Hamilton again. <laughs> you gotta be in the room where it happens. The room yeah. where it happens, room where it happens. Oh my god, this episode. So the weird, the, the dumb thing I was thinking about DC was about the Smith Smithsonian and a night at the museum. <laughs> that's the one reason I would want to visit DC. That would be pretty legit. Like that's a legit reason to go there. Oh god. Um, so some weird laws in Washington DC include you cannot participate in a race, dance, or other contest for longer than 12 hours in a 24-hour period. It's part of people's safety, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, no one wants to do the Baja however many hours. I should know the hours in Washington, D.C., you know? I don't know what that is. It's like a crazy race that's like a lot of hours, and it's through the desert, and it's freaking rough and crazy, and people just get wrecked, and... They just drive forever on hard terrain that just like wrecks their vehicles and their bodies and people do that on horses too in Utah. There's a oh. like it's like a 72 hour horse race. Jeez Louise, and 72 go, hours on a horse? Maybe it's 48. But they go down around Antelope Island and like this huge like hundred something mile horse race. Anyways, yeah. um, women cannot be hired to dance with men. What? Uh, um, it's illegal to post a public notice calling someone else a coward for refusing to duel with you. Oh, alright. I mean, I guess, I mean, dueling's probably frowned upon these days anyways. 
<laughs> but you better not call that guy a coward for not doing it. <laughs> it's illegal to marry your mother-in-law. Well, thank goodness. Yeah. That's pretty not ideal. And lastly, if you kill a Sasquatch, it's a misdemeanor, and you may be fined or jailed. So they're saying Sasquatch is real. If you happen to find one in D.C. and you kill it, it's a misdemeanor. Oh and my all gosh, we're saying. totally, we're going squatching in D.C. We can't I'm not kill gonna it. kill him, yeah, but really... I'm gonna find him and be his buddy. Take a selfie. Ask. Yeah. Squatch, as we call him. Um, yep, Sam Squanch. So, this week we're in D.C., folks. Uh, we're, we're taking a ride. Join if us. If you're still around, sweet. Thank you. <laughs>
it was really old timey age. Things were different, but he had to move out after about a year. After he moved out within, he went on to study law and he was admitted to the bar in New York City in 1846. So he became a lawyer in 1846. In 1851, Daniel was 32 years old and he ran into little Teresa again. Oh, oh, is that his wife? She was no longer three years old. Don't worry. No. She was now 15 years old. Oh. And the 32-year-old man quickly fell deeply in love with her. That's disgusting. It's so gross. Like, I'm not 32 yet, and that's disgusting. No, I'm not 32 yet either, and I would never in my right mind even come close to thinking romantically about a 15-year-old. He knew her since she was a 3-year-old. That's disgusting. And he was 19. That's disgusting. Ugh. Yeah, so he runs into Teresa, and he's like, hey, babe. I'm so grossed out right now. You grew up hot. Let's get married. And she's She's not even fucking grown up. She's still a child. She probably doesn't even have full boobs. (laughs) Yep. She was a real cute 15-year-old, though. Um, Oh. That's a gross sentence to say. Ew. So they started dating, as you do. Yuck. With someone Less less than half your age. More than half your age. Ugh. And so things progress quickly. And he was like, I want to marry you. And so he goes to her family. They go to her family. And they're like, hey, we want to get married. And her family's like, oh, hell nah. Like, nah. nah. He's old. He doesn't come from the same echelon of society as us. Like, no. It ain't happening. They were, like, a super well-known family in New York. They were, like, a wealthy Italian family, like, one of the first big Italian families in New York City. Teresa spoke five languages by the time she was 15 years old. Holy cow, that's amazing. I wish I spoke five languages. I wish I spoke two. Me too. I speak a little bit of Spanish. Yeah. Un poquito. Yeah, that's about it. Uh (laughs) so they expected a lot from her she was raised in this really intelligent family she grew up in the scholarly household of her grandpa her father did great things her grandfather did great things like she they expected a lot of her and they were like you're not marrying some politician's son who is not in the same station in life as this but she was like "Mm, but i love him oh god and so on September 17th, which I think is my wedding anniversary. I think it is. 16, 17. I think it's the 17th. <laughs> I should know that. <laughs> September 17th, 1852. They got married in a civil ceremony anyways, despite her family not yuck, wanting it. Yuck, yuck, yuck. So yuck. Did they have... Like parents can they didn't they have to have parents consent back then? No, it was the eighteen hundreds, and she was fifteen years old. She was like a full grown human. She probably should have had three kids by then. Yeah. So they go and get married in the civil ceremony, and finally her family's like, "Fine, no, I, I guess this is happening, but you need to do it the right way." So her family made them have a second ceremony, and they were married by the Archbishop of New York City. Ugh. And at that point in time, she was noticeably pregnant. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah. So seventh month, seven months after their 
like a fish, like their second ceremony, she gave birth to their baby girl. Um, So it was kind of a shotgun wedding, whatever. She's a baby. He's like a 32 year old lawyer. Yeah. Like he's compared to her. He's a grown ass. Like that's like disgusting. At this point (laughs) in life. In those days, everything, like, yeah, okay, you progress through the scales or whatever, and, like, 32 was old. But even now, 32, that's, like, you're so established in life, I feel like. I'm 31, and it's, like, I have two very small children. I did not start at 15, thank God. But, like, I know where I'm going in life. I know what I want. I know who I want to be with. I'm established. I have a career plan kind of uh but like that's a thing and back then like he was 32 she was 15 and they had their first baby he could be her child vice versa she she could be his i mean that's what i meant she could be (laughs) his child yeah that's what i meant yeah it's gross he he would have been 17 when she was born uh so a thing he was super charismatic and charming but he was extremely cocky. Like, he was just this arrogant guy. But people liked him. They liked this weird charismatic personality he had, but he was overly cocky. But it that it worked for him. Um, yeah. And he hated authority figures. So anyone that tried to give him advice or direction, be it, like, teachers, parents, anybody in a station of power above him, he was like, no, nah, I'm going to go my own way. <laughs> And he was really, really smart, so it worked out for him. So, like, his entire school career, he was going against his parents and his teachers and any advisors he had, but it ended up working out. So, people were like, wow, this guy's, like, a fucking cocky douchebag, but, like, he's really smart. It's working. Yeah, doing something. Yeah, and so I guess that's what Teresa was drawn to at 15 years old, to this adult man. Or maybe she was just groomed. I don't know. <laughs> so he served on as corporate counsel uh, for New York City. So he was like the city's lawyer. And then President Franklin Pierce appointed him as secretary to the U.S. legislation in London under James Buchanan. So this was shortly after he married Teresa. So he and Teresa moved to London for a few years and then they returned to New York in 1855. Um, so she had a baby, like, shortly after they got married. They lived in London for a couple years, and then they moved back to New York, and he gets right back into the political arena. He won a seat in the New York Senate, but before he even served a year in the New York Senate, he was elected to serve in the House of Representatives for the United States. So he's, like, a U.S. House of Representatives person. That, and in his, like, early 30s, that's pretty impressive. I think by this time he's in his late 40s, 30s. Okay. But, yeah, still pretty impressive. And he tried to go by a, a younger age because his wife was so young. So to everyone, he, like, seemed like he was in his early to mid-30s, but he was really in his late 30s. Um, But, yeah, he's doing really well. He's climbing up the ladder. He's working his way through the political things. And people fucking loved him. Like, they were this nice young couple living in this really nice house in Washington, D.C. They lived down the street from the president of the United States. 
I mean, his wife's like 22 years old. They have a six-year-old daughter. He's like, I don't know, late 30s. Uh, but whatever. Um, so whatever. Everybody was impressed by their lifestyle. They'd host these big parties because they had this really nice house near the president's house. Like, he, he was a politician. He wanted people to think highly of him, live a good life where people looked up to him, and he was working his way up the ranks. Like... It's believed he had President of the United States in his line of sight, and it was pretty achievable. Huh. So everybody fucking loved this couple. They were Democrats. Uh, I don't know what that meant in the 1800s. It changed a lot. <laughs> but everything was going great. Their life was perfect, or so he thought. Dun, dun, dun. In March of 1857, Dan was at an all-night whist game a what game whist which is a card game that is kind of like bridge apparently okay so he went to this all-night card game which was a thing back then which i totally think should be brought back i would go to an all-night cribbage game but whatever yeah i think let's do that so he goes to this all-night card game and while he's at this game he meets philip barton key the second the two men have a ton in common they're both like these tall good-looking arrogant smart political men and people really seem to be drawn to them even though they're kind of dicks but philip's a little bit younger than dan but they hit it off they become fast friends but over the next few weeks after they meet they start running into each other and philip meets Teresa. And they become good friends, too, because it's like, oh, wow, like, you're friends with my husband. We all live in D.C. Cool. My husband travels a lot. Like, you should come with me to these balls and these parties and, like, whatever else I want to go to. That would be so cool. That'd be great. So (laughs) Dan is a congressman. He has to travel all over the country. And he leaves his 22-year-old beautiful wife with a six-year-old kid at home all by herself all the time. She's lonely. She knows she's in, like, a position of power and that she has her looks and she's young. And she meets Philip and he's young and good-looking, even though everyone just compared him to her husband. He's, like, a younger version of her husband, which is probably what she should have just went with to begin with. But uh, still older than her. But a young version of her husband. So they hit it off and they start hanging out all the time. Dan goes out of town. Philip is the one who takes her to any balls or parties or plays. Obviously things escalate from there. But Dan has no idea anything's happening between Teresa and Philip. He's just like, cool, I have a hot wife. I have this young friend. Everyone in D.C. loves me. But like when he was out of town, they were not hiding their flirting they were going to these balls parties plays and they were just like openly flirting with each other being over the top like obviously enamored with each other so everybody in dc society was gossiping about philip and Teresa. and then they started meeting up in this unoccupied house meeting up Yeah. yeah and philip rented a house near Dan and Teresa's house. But he'd only use it like for one night at a time and meet this lady there. For Just one night. night. It's fine. Yeah. So this was going on for a while whenever Dan was out of town. Uh, and Dan has no idea. And everybody else is talking about it. 
So then one night Dan's in town and they have guests and they have this like nice dinner party. And then after the dinner party, the entire group of people was going to go to the Willard Hotel for a dance. And so they're all getting like loaded into the carriages and stuff. And Dan's making sure everybody's getting their good and stuff. It's not far away. They live in like the center of DC, but they're taking carriages because they're fancy. And so he's making sure everybody gets off in their carriages and he's the last one left at his house. And right before he's about to just walk over to the hotel, this messenger comes up and is like, Hey, are you Dan? And he was like, Yes, I am. And they're like, oh, I have this letter for you. And he's like, cool, thanks. I got to go. So he takes this letter and he just sticks it inside his pocket and forgets about it. He just is like, oh, I need to go. Everybody's waiting for me. And he just walks over to the hotel. So they go to the hotel. They spend the night dancing and having fun with their guests, whatever, whatever. And so then it's like the late, late hours of the night, early hours of the next morning. And they get home And Teresa goes up to bed and Dan's like, oh, I need to just catch up on some correspondences. So he goes to his office and that's when he remembers, oh, I have this note in my pocket. Like, what what is this? So he pulls out this letter in his pocket. It's in a yellow envelope. He opens it up and basically it says, I could tell you what it actually says, but it would be less interesting than what I'm going to say it said. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, it says... I regret to tell you this, but I feel like I have to. I heard that Philip Key II is renting a house to bang your wife. Oh, fuck. He hangs a string on the window to signal her when he's there, and then he leaves the door unlocked for her to enter. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. Oh, jeez. Your friend RPG. So Dan, like, reads this letter. That's not verbatim, um, but basically. <laughs> and Dan's like, I don't, oh, I don't, yeah, like, he's like, I don't know an RPG, but, like, this letter is really detailed. Like, it gave the address of the house that yeah. his wife's supposedly meeting this guy at. And so he's like, uh, I have a lot of political rivals. They could be tr- just trying to, like, get under my skin yeah, or cause it. Ruffled feathers. Exactly. But, like, it's really detailed. It's not just like, hey, your wife's boning another guy. It's like, your wife's boning this guy at this address. And he puts a feather in the window. Yeah, like, this is how he signals her at this address that he's been renting for a while. And so he's like, okay, like, I I need to do a little research before I confront anybody about this. Because hopefully it's not true. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't confront Teresa that night, and he talks to his buddy, George Woolridge. And he's like, hey, George, I got this letter. I don't really believe it, but, like, could you check it out for me? And George is like, yeah, for sure, buddy. Uh, and so George goes to this house, um, because that's how they talked in the late 1800s. For sure, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Let me look into that for you. No problemo. Got your bag, bruh. Fine. I gotcha. So George is like, yeah, got it. So he goes to the address and he starts talking to the neighbors. He's just like, hey, y'all know who like rents this house here? And they're like, uh-huh, yeah, it's this tall guy. Uh, got like dark hair, not bad looking, kind of arrogant. And he meets this lady. She's like 22. She's real pretty. Uh, looks like whatever his wife looked like. And <laughs> he's like, hmm. Right. That's not great. 
And so he's looking good here. Um, he's like, okay, but like, how often do they come? And the neighbors are like, well, they only come at night time. <laughs> the freaks come out at night. <laughs> and it's, it's not every night, but when he comes, she comes, and oh. there's something nefarious happening here. And I would be that neighbor. Just want to get that out there. Like, if you're having dalliances in my neighborhood, I will gossip about it if someone comes asking. Just saying. Just so you know, like, beware. Your secret is not safe with me. <laughs> I have a really sad story about my neighbors. I don't know that I oh, should start. Oh, wait. How are those neighbors? Are they getting, like, their things gone? Uh, if by things gone you mean his wife gone, then yes. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so, he came over the other day and, like, apologized to me for the embarrassment of, like, the police coming to their house on several occasions. And I was like, oh, like, uh, don't worry about it. Like, you don't need to apologize to me. And he was like, well, like my wife's gone now and we're all way happier and like she cost me everything I lost everything because of her but like I'm better off now that she's gone and I'm just really sorry like a lot of the neighbors won't even look at us now because the cops came to our house a couple times and I'm like fuck I'm sorry so did, are the kids still there yeah the kids are still with him like the kids were there while he was saying this to me oh fuck uh, yeah so I'll be that neighbor <laughs> Oh, jeez. Anyways, my neighbors are going through some shit, and I feel really bad for them, but they seem to be okay. Anyways, these neighbors were like, yeah, they were here last week. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, but for sure these people are up to no good. Like, they're doing the dirty. And so George goes back to Dan, and he's like, okay, so the neighbors say that a dude that looks like Philip." is definitely meeting a woman that looks like Teresa, but some of the neighbors say they met on Wednesday of last week, and other neighbors say the last time they met was Thursday of last week. (laughs) And Dan's like, okay, well, like, Teresa was with me all day Thursday. She could not have met with Philip on Thursday. Yeah. So if it was Thursday, it's just somebody who kind of looks like her. It's not her. And George, yeah, and he's like, so it might not be my wife. And George is like, okay, cool. Uh, I'll go back and ask some more questions. So he goes back and he's like, Thursday or Wednesday? And they're like, mm, Wednesday. Definitely Wednesday, sorry. And so then he goes back to Dan and Dan's like, fuck! Hey, bro, it's definitely your wife. Yeah. So Dan's like, oh, shit, my wife's cheating on me. Fuck. So, I don't even know where I am in my notes, because I'm just telling the story. Um, Why is cheating? So, Fuck. George tells Dan... No, me. <laughs> my notes say, so George tells Dan, sorry, homie, it was Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan knew the rumors were true. He didn't know what to do. This could ruin his reputation as a politician. And he loved call. his wife, supposedly. Like, he's like... I don't want to ruin my marriage. I don't want this to be true, but like it seems to be. Finally, he's like, okay, I have to confront Teresa. So he goes to Teresa and he's like, are you sleeping with Philip? And she's like, no, babe, I love you. Dad, I mean, husband. Uh, 
And she's not super convincing in her, like, rebuttal. And he's like, okay, well, I know where it's happening and when it's happening. So, like, where were you on Wednesday slash Thursday night? And she's like, ah, fuck. Okay, fine. I'm sleeping with him. So, at first she denies it. But then she's like, okay, you caught me. And then she's just, like, extremely distraught. She's, because her husband found her out. She doesn't know what's going to gonna become of her and he's a mess because it's gonna ruin his career and like maybe he loves her whatever i think it's more about his career because he was a dog like he was not he was not not a cheater just gonna throw that out here but he tries to play the like i loved her so much card and it's like "Mm, no you didn't want to ruin your career so she's a mess because she thinks she's gonna just be thrown out on the streets and have no life left of head over her. He's losing his shit because it's going to ruin his career and he's mad that he was made to look bad. Yeah. Meanwhile, Philip, her lover, he doesn't know any of this is going on. He doesn't know Dan's found out about them. He just knows that he's like super into Teresa and he wants to see her again, but like he hasn't heard from her in a while. So like, what's going on, Teresa? So, Philip, since he hasn't, like, she hasn't responded to his string in the window in a while, (laughs) he rents a room at the Cosmos Club, which is this club slash hotel that's across the park from Teresa and Dan's home. I don't know. They live in front of a park. So, he goes and rents this room at the Cosmos Club across the park. And he brings his opera glasses, which are just, like, um, binoculars, but, like, fancier. Yeah. Like, heavy metal binoculars on a stick, I imagine. I don't know if they were on a stick, but I picture them on a stick. Um, And so he's just, like, in his room at the Cosmos Club, like, glass in their house, trying to see if she's signaling him. But, like, how would she? She didn't know he was there. So he's, like, waiting to see if he sees a sign from her from across the park. And he doesn't because she's just, like, freaking out that her life is over. Yeah. So he doesn't see anything from her. So the next day, he leaves the Cosmos Club. He walks across the park. And he just starts kind of, like, pacing back and forth in front of their house. Which is super not weird at all. And yeah. he, he's fiddling with his handkerchief in his hand, which apparently was like a signal they had made for each other. Like, hey, if I walk past your house and wave my handkerchief, it means I want to have sex in our rental. And, <laughs> uh, so he's doing this. He's walking back and forth. and But she never saw that because she's like literally inconsolable in bed, like won't like get up because she knows her life is ruined, basically. Mm-hmm. because if you're a woman in those days and age and you fuck up, your life's over and his life's probably fine. Yeah. Uh, so she's in bed. She doesn't see her lover, like, pacing in front of the house. Dan, on the other hand, calls his political buddy Samuel to ask him what he should do about this situation. They're both politicians. I don't know. So Samuel, Samuel comes over and he's, like, here's the whole situation and he's like, fuck, I don't know. I need to go get a drink. So he leaves and he goes to the bar, gets a drink. He comes back and when he's walking through Dan and Teresa's house, he runs into George. George is the one who is questioning the neighbors, right? So Sam and George are like sitting there talking to each other and Dan comes like barging in the room and he's like, that villain is out there. 
<laughs> that villain is out there now making sig now that villain is out there now making signs because he had spotted philip pacing in front of the house like waving his handkerchief like a fucking oh, weirdo fuck. and so dan's like oh my god that fucking guy is trying to signal my wife with his handkerchief like i'm an idiot and so samuel and george are standing there in the library or whatever and they're like dude calm down uh <laughs> like maybe there's a way we can keep this a secret and not destroy your political career and dan's like shut up everybody already knows this is happening i'm already the idiot of town and samuel's like mm, you're right you're right in that case you know what you have to do Ooh. Oh. uh so sam's like hey i'll go out and talk to philip i'll be real nonchalant i'll see if he is staying at the cosmos club across the thing because like if he's not, maybe this is a weird coincidence. No, I'll, yeah. I'll just try and suss out the situation. So Samuel goes outside, and he's like, hey, Phil, what are you doing out here? Like, yeah, are you staying at the club? And Philip's like, oh, yeah, totally. And Samuel's like, oh, my buddy's staying there. He's sick. How's he doing? And Philip's like, oh, he's fine. But then all of a sudden, Dan just comes, like, storming out of the house as the two of them are, like, talking nonchalantly. Dan's like, you... You scoundrel! You've dishonored my house. You must die. Oh, shit. And Philip's like, what for? That's a quote from the article. What for? What for? And Dan just pulls a pistol from his pocket and fires it at Philip. But he's like angry walking with his arms swinging, I think, and he just missed. And, and so Philip's like, Oh shit, he's gonna shoot me. So Philip reaches in his pocket and he pulls out those opera glasses, which are those like heavy metal binoculars, and yeah. he starts hitting Dan with his opera glasses and like grabbing his coat, trying to like disarm him. But Dan's able to shake out of his grasp and Philip throws his opera glasses at him. <laughs> and at the same time, Dan fires his gun. Philip missed with the opera glasses, but Dan didn't miss with the bullet. So Philip gets hit and he kind of is like stumbling backwards and falling and he's like, fuck, don't kill me. Um, so he's like trying to run away and he's like, don't murder me. Don't murder me. And Dan fires again. So he didn't fall down with the first shot. He didn't fall down with the first shot, but he's, like, running away because he was hit. And he was like, don't murder me, don't murder me. Dan fires again, hits him again, and this time he falls down to the ground. And he says, please don't kill me. But again, Dan says, you villain, you've dishonored my house, you must die. And he shoots him again. Oh. And so Dan's literally standing over Philip with his gun. And he pulls the trigger again, but this time it misfires. Like, he was aiming it right at his head that time. Pulls the trigger, misfires. And this time, it's the middle of the afternoon in a very populated city yeah. that is the U.S. capital. And so, at this point in time, people are, like, intervening. People are, like, asking him to give them their his gun. They're like, hey, man, it's fine. It's fine. Like, drop it. No, literally, the articles were like people were trying to get him to either hand them the him the gun, hand them the gun, or just like not shoot it anymore. At least, 
So it's just like, hey man, like, please don't shoot. Can I, can I have that? Please? That'd be nice. Uh, Wait, you want to give me that? Can I borrow that? Like, are, I got some business. Are you done? Can I, can I take that gun from you? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then other people are, like, scooping up this guy who's just, like, unresponsive on the sidewalk. And, uh, it ha- like, whatever. He hands over his gun. It's over. And his buddy Samuel, who had been there trying to, like, just suss out the situation to begin with, he backed off when Dan came out because he saw the gun and was like, oh, shit. But now the shooting's over. So he comes back up to Dan and he's like, hey, buddy, I think you need to turn yourself in. And Dan's like, yeah, probably. So they go to the attorney general's house because they live near him and are friends with him. Like, hey, man, here's my problem. By the way, I just shot a guy. I don't know. You want to know about that? But (laughs) So he hangs out there until the police come and arrest him. And he's charged with a bunch of charges, including murder, but like a bunch of other stuff. (laughs) But he's a lawyer and he knows the law. He's like a really smart dude. And he knows the law really well in the mid-1800s. So he's like, mm, I'm going to hire myself some lawyers. He hires eight lawyers. Like, eight of the best lawyers in the 1800s. Jeez. And so the prosecution's like, hey, this guy shot a man in cold blood in front of a street full of witnesses. He's super fucking guilty. Yeah. But his lawyers were like, no, this guy just really loved his family. And Philip, the guy he murdered, was a habitual adulterer. He was a bad dude. And when Dan learned about the adultery, he just lost his mind and couldn't control what he did because of passion. And so the defense is like, he's a great man. This isn't his fault. He lost his mind. And the prosecution could have been like, "Mm, he's not a great man. There's so much proof proof that he was also an adulterer. He cheated on his wife all the time. He was more than twice her age when they got married. Not a great dude. But instead, they were like, no, like he cold-blooded murdered someone in front of a bunch of witnesses. That's all the proof we need. And the jury was like, "Mm, we kind of believe these eight lawyers that are saying he's a nice guy so he was found uh not guilty so did his wife or yeah she was so his wife did she testify no not that i found at all so he's found not guilty he's not guilty of murder so he doesn't have to go to prison but his more unfortunate soul yeah uh he doesn't go to prison but his political career did take a hit He could have eventually ran for president with how well he was doing. But now people were like, oh, he's kind of sketchy. I don't know. Yeah, he might fly off the handle. He might kill some people. Maybe he shouldn't be president. But, like, I don't know. He's a white dude. So maybe we should still kind of trust him. (laughs) So he kind of withdrew from the public eye for a while. Um, But then a few months later, so when everything happened... The public fucking hated Teresa. She was a whore. She was the Jezebel. She caused all of this. It was all her fault. And he just was lost in the passion of loving his family. So then he backed out of the public eye for a few months. But then he reconciled with Teresa. And the public lost their mind. They were like, how dare you get back with that whore of a woman? Yeah. 
now we really hate you. Now you've really done it. We thought you were kind of a victim, but now you're just not because you got back with her and she's the devil. (laughs) How would you get back with your cheating wife? So he'd always been this like kind of charming scamp that everybody knew was kind of just like a dirtbag, but like you liked him for it. But now he was just like this dark, dark figure in politics. But, like, still liked enough to stay in a public office. Yeah. And then the Civil War happened, and he became a major in the Union Army, and he lost a leg at the Battle of Gettysburg. Huh. And he earned a Medal of Honor for that. So everybody kind of was like, okay, we forgive you. Like, you're still kind of an ass. It seemed like the maddest they got at him was when he went back to her. <laughs> the the poor child that he groomed to be his wife but whatever uh so he's like a war hero now but teresa never got that sa- same kind of forgiveness from the public everyone hated her for the rest of her life <laughs> they reconciled and like stayed married but their relationship never recovered they didn't live a happy life and then she got tuberculosis and died In 1867, at the age of 31. Dang, 31? She's just a baby. She'd been married for 16 years at 31. To a man twice her age. Yeah. But Dan, on the other hand, super got back in the public's good graces. So after the Civil War, he lost that leg. He was a war hero. People loved him again. So he became the U.S. Minister to Spain. And then in the 1870s, he had an affair with the deposed queen of Spain and had another sex scandal in his political life. Oh. Huge deal. Should have ended. Yeah. Should have ended his career. Didn't. Uh, Of course not, because he's just this great guy. Yeah. That's just so unfortunate. He's really white and male so you know white and male so that's all you need (laughs) so even after killing his wife's lover and sleeping with a queen while he was representing the united states i'm pretty sure she was married he returned to the united states house of representative representatives to serve again in 1890 and people like believed he was a scoundrel and his nickname was devil dan but like they still kept electing him and he stayed in politics for the rest of his life he died in 1914 at the age of 94 94 wow and he was in politics like he got elected to the house of representatives again in 1890 that was 20 years before he died he was 70 in 1890 and getting elected to the house of representatives so wow pure white dude do whatever the fuck you want. That's the moral of my story. Well, I mean, it is all like old white dudes in politics. Exactly. <laughs> so who cares? You'll be fine. Just do it. <laughs> really cool. Really oh, cool. What are you talking about this week? Oh, so since I struggled with my research because I'm a fucking idiot, <laughs> I went to the good old Murderpedia and there's only one on Murderpedia, so that's the one I'm doing. <laughs> I briefly looked at that. So there's, there's only been... one woman. You were yeah. only looking at the woman. There was 
several men. Most of them were like assassins of U.S. presidents. Oh, well, I should have done one of those because Miss Benita Jackson, or Benita Jax, not Jackson, uh, she is a piece of work. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about Benita Jax. So we're not back in the 1800s, so we're moving on closer moving to on. where we are. Okay. So she was born in 1974, and her childhood is kind of questionable. I couldn't find a lot of details about it um, because her account is that she dropped out of school in the sixth grade, but her mom says she stayed in school till about the 10th grade, but then she dropped out when she was 17 and pregnant with her first child. Huh. So, I have a cousin who dropped out of school in the eighth grade. But I oh. bet her mom would say it was like 11th grade, just to try and make herself feel better. Yeah, see, I mean, I get that, but before you said that, like, I think I believe her mom's account, but I don't know, because... I mean, like, when it comes to that cousin, I probably wouldn't believe her no matter what she said either, so... <laughs> so, I'm gonna go with, she remained in high school... Until she was a sophomore, but then dropped out when she got pregnant to to begin her family. Whether that was planned or not planned, obviously, I don't think it was planned. Um, just kind of happened. I mean, so not that I, I yeah, know, unless it's the eighteen marrying a man. Yeah, <laughs> gross. Too much. Too yeah, much. I mean, she was probably more well educated than any of us at fifteen. Probably. I don't but, speak five languages. Yeah, I don't speak even close to five languages. I mean, if you count Pig Latin, I got two. <laughs> Pig Latin. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> we, should, we should have a Pig Latin episode. Oh, God, we should not. No one would listen to that. No, that it's would be so annoying terrible. to listen to Pig Latin. Ooh, yay. Uh, That's yeah. enough. <laughs> I can't even I can't even think of a sentence off the top of my head. Ude, uye, I clay. I'm a, a way of a talking to. It's bad. No one wants to hear that. It's annoying. Yeah, that's true. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> so, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Uh, that, uh, if that doesn't date us, I don't know what does. <laughs> it's been a uh, week, y'all. Yeah, here we go. So... Anyways, she starts her family pretty young. She ends up having a second child within about six years. So, I mean, that's a pretty big gap. Yeah. But I couldn't figure out if, like, it's the same baby daddy or a new one. So I'm not real sure. In 2000, after she's already got two kids, her first two kids, Benita meets a Nathan Fogel. And she was working as a hairdresser when she meets him. So she's probably just talking him up, giving him a nice sweet cut, <laughs> telling him how good he looks and whatever. And then one thing led to another and she was popping out his babies. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird way to think about hairdressers. She was just sweet talking him, and she's like, "Ooh, this fade would look so good in my bed." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! 
<laughs> I like that hairline for my future children. Wink, wink. Let me lay the sex talk on you while I'm freshening your buzz cut. Brush you know. those clippings off your shoulder. Oh, sorry, I brushed the back of your head with my bosom. <laughs> my bosom? That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have that problem. I'd be like, oops, sorry. I just backed it up on you. That was my butt. Like, that's, I really had to try to do that. You're trying to sweep up the floor here. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I really had to, like, jump for that. <laughs> but my bad. Um, it's obviously not how we met our husbands. Yeah, nope. I was just a bartender at a dive bar. So I suckered him in. Made out with him. Drunk, playing beer punk. <laughs> the romance. So sweet. <laughs> uh, um. So anyways, she's doing her sweet talk and she's like, oh yeah, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> and then... <laughs> bang, bang, bang. So they, they start popping out the kids like yeah. wild. Like you do. <laughs> it's so, um, she quickly gives birth to two of Nathan Fogel's children. So, like, one after another, they're, like, one year apart. So, like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. She was really digging the sky, I guess. They just couldn't keep their hands off each other. Real fertile. Um, fertile myrtle. Yep. Fertile myrtle. So, at this point... Some of she, us plan that. Yeah. Some, some of us. Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't know. My kids are only 16 months apart, and it was 100% planned. But that's just, like, crazy. Like, <laughs> that it just out. No, it's just crazy that it was well, just, like, that's just out. crazy. You're like, I want to have a baby right now. Let's have a baby right now. And then you fucking have a baby right now. And then you're like, okay, I'm ready for baby number two. Let's do this. And then, bam. You're just like, all right, well, yeah. here's baby number two. And I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, it was like, oh, we're going to start trying. Uh, we're, we, it happened. Yeah, we, <laughs> we didn't even have to try. It just, bam, here we are. I'm an asshole like that. But it was very close together. No, yeah, but. It doesn't seem like it in her situation that it was planned at all. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they really had a plan. I think they were just, like, banging it out. And <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. One thing. Here we go. Bang, Next. bang, bang. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Bang, bang, bang. Yep. And they're just popping out the babes. <laughs> so, um, for her baby, baby daddy number two, possibly three, um, I didn't find any information on Nathan Fogel. So, but I'm not sure that he's, like, a real great guy. And I get this impression because um, Benita would kind of, she was kind of living all over the place. Like, she wasn't well off. And so, um, she was living all over the place. And then she was living with her mom for a time because she had got evicted. But... She couldn't live there for long because her mother was like, nope, that Fogel guy, like, she wasn't. I don't want him in my house. Yeah, exactly. Also, so, like, four babies? Yeah, four babies. Well, like, four, but still, four kids. Yeah. And 
So the mom was like, no, I don't really like this guy. So you can't stay here because he's not welcome. And so because of this, she ends up getting evicted. And she is kind of like home hopping. I don't know exactly where she stayed or how she stayed um, for a while. Because she was like home hopping with her children. She was homeless. She stayed in a homeless shelter. Um, but finally, after, I don't know exact the exact amount of time, they received some aid from a nonprofit organization. And that helped them move into Washington, D.C., a row house. So we talked about row housing in one of our other episodes. I don't remember exactly which state it was, but we talked about row housing before. I want um, to say... It was like a densely populated area. I want to say like New Orleans, New Orleans, or like Chicago or Louisiana. Yeah, I those sound right, but I don't remember. But when I was going through this, I was like, oh, the row house, and I remember this. Um, oh, I think it was new because it was colorful. Oh yes, 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 yes. That's right. I think it was New Orleans. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, she gets help from this nonprofit organization. So they get into this row house in Washington D.C. in August of 2006. Um, so finally, things are sort of looking up. They've got housing. They're in a good place. They're all together. They're not kind of bouncing around trying to figure out where they're going to sleep at night. Yeah, that's really sad. That's a, especially because her youngest she had when she was. 16 17 and she didn't have the next one for another six years yeah and so like, that kid's at least eight probably so older probably like helping take care of all the rest of the kids yeah they're yeah. really realizing how unstable their life is and, and that first baby her name is Brittany, by the way the 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 oldest her name is Brittany jacks so obviously i mean she probably grew up real quick because she's like Okay, this is fine. This is life. Yeah, because her mom was a kid. Yeah, and then her mom starts having more babies, and she's like, "Okay, well, hi, I'm like mom now." Yeah, I get to do this. So they get to their row house, and the neighbors and the family described um, Benita Jacks as a caring, attentive mother until baby daddy. Number two or three, Nathaniel Fogel passed away. And I think the article that I read said it was from cancer because it was kind of like sudden. But I couldn't, again, I couldn't find much detail on anything except like her case. So her baby daddies, that situation, her past, I couldn't find a ton of detail. Nathaniel Fogel, he passed away in... February of 2007. So after this, that's kind of like the downward spiral for Benita Jacks and her children, which is unfortunate because they had just got kind of into a stable place. You yeah, know? they had like a home of their own. Yeah. And so unfortunately, this is kind of the downward spiral. But it's super weird because... Like, she became very isolated after his death, but, like, she didn't tell her children that he died. Hmm. So, I don't know how that worked out, but because the article that I read said that she didn't even tell her children that 
like the dad died. So I don't know if she told them some other story, like he just up and left us. Well, or... it seems like it wasn't a very stable relationship. So it's like he probably just kind of disappeared for a while sometimes and the kids were used to it. So she just didn't have to say anything, I bet. Yeah, I guess. And but like, I mean, oh, he's not coming by today. I don't know, man. That's just like crazy to me. But and I feel like her oldest daughter is like, oh, okay. Her oldest daughter is probably like, okay, mom, I'm over your shit. Like, well, her oldest daughter is probably like, okay, that he's gone forever. Like, you're moving on to the next thing, not realizing he's dead, but just thinking like, oh, great, more instability, instability. Right. So she doesn't attend the funeral. She doesn't tell her children that he dies. Um, and two of them are his kids. Yeah, exactly. Two of two of them are his. And Can you go to the funeral? Yeah. Nope. Um, so she was just really in a bad place, I guess. So in April and May of 2007, the oldest daughter's social worker made multiple attempts to verify Brittany's safety. She was the oldest one, the oldest daughter. And so, obviously, given their situation and, like... Well, the fact that they probably lived in homeless shelters at some point in time. Yeah. Children in homeless shelters are going to be assigned a social worker just to make sure they're never not in a safe situation. Right. So, given their situation, um, Brittany's been kind of MIA from school and things like that. And so the social worker has made multiple attempts to kind of verify her safety. She visited Benita Jack's home. Um, she even went there with a police officer and another school employee because they were concerned um, for Brittany's kind of welfare because she was just not showing up. Yeah, I was just like gone. So um, they visited. Yeah, so they visit the home, and then um, when they show up, Benita, she refuses to let them inside, and... Can they force their way inside if it's, like, the welfare of a child? So, I think that they they can. I think that that's a thing. Like, unless you purposely, like, open your door, go outside the door, close it, and lock it behind you, like, they can come in, I'm pretty sure. I feel like when it comes to the welfare of a child, they should be able, they should have. Yeah. So I don't know why they were more pushy. Maybe they didn't think it was like a big deal at that point because yeah. it was like the first kind of check-in. I don't know. Um, so Benita's like, no, you can't come in my house. Sorry. Like, bye. And so during that visit, the social worker says that she saw the two younger girls inside but they did appear unkempt. So she was kind of worried. But at that point, like, they they didn't do anything still. Well, because so, they made contact with the family. So they know they didn't move out of the area. And she saw two yeah. of the younger kids. So it's like, okay, the whole family's still living here. Right. So, so they're like, assume, all right. Like, okay. This is yeah. fine, I guess. But they weren't 100%. So in my research of DC, there are some very... Poverty stricken. Poverty stricken is nicer. I say sketchy. I'm an asshole. That's why it took me a minute to come up with the word. (laughs) I'm like, I'm an asshole. Just sketchy. Okay, fuck you. 
There's some very poverty-stricken areas of Washington, D.C. Like, some very, very... And it's such a densely populated city that there's just these neighborhoods that are just, like, scary crime rates. D.C.'s been the highest murder capital of the U.S. at some points in time. It's not anymore, but it was. But there's just these densely populated poor communities living in some of these neighborhoods so i'm sure the social workers are overwhelmed and they're like i made contact with a family they have a home they're there that's the most i can do right now you know like it so i am not blaming her but it's just sad that that's a situation no that's super sad and that makes sense because i think that's even in, pe- in like places that are not like super densely populated like that, social workers are still totally overwhelmed because there's not enough of them because it's no hard. one wants to do the work because it's way too hard. It's sad and it's, and it's difficult. It, no one wants to hear from you ever. I no one wants to hear from you. You're always the bad guy. And then you have to take children out of awful situations and you have to see the things that these poor children have to go through. I mean, really like having good people in that situation is fantastic. Like yeah, good people should do that job. I don't think I could do it. Oh no, I would not. I'm not mentally strong enough. No, no, I would, I would not be able to handle that. I would have a fucking mental breakdown. I can't even handle my job on a day to day basis, (laughs) let alone something serious like fucking dealing with kids yeah kids break my heart i couldn't do it um i would kill someone i would fucking lose my shit on somebody that was mistreating someone like nope i wouldn't mm -mm. well it's like the susan powell story oh here in utah what terrible the wife went missing nobody knew where she was everybody suspected the husband but no one could put blame on him and then he was having supervised visits and the social worker showed up at his house with the kids and locked her out yeah he pulled the kids inside slammed the door shut and locked the social worker out and then killed his kids and set the house on fire while she's on the phone with 911 being like i don't i need i need help yeah that's the that's terrible yeah i couldn't those yeah no social workers have I don't know. They are much stronger than me. Yeah, same. I, <laughs> because I couldn't do it. Anyway, uh, so these people didn't find, well, they found Bonita, but they didn't find Brittany. Right. So they didn't ever make contact with her, but they did see the other kids. So they were like, all right, it's fine. So, but the social worker, she didn't give up. Like, she continued to make calls to child services, the police, but nothing was like followed up on so again maybe they were just overwhelmed maybe it was just like there was not enough red flags i don't know what the circumstances are for people to drop everything and like unfortunately i feel like it's a it's too late situational thing like okay this poor family in the shitty neighborhood of dc you can't find their teenage daughter. She probably ran away. But if, yeah, she probably didn't want to be here. She's trying to get out of here. But if that happened in my neighborhood, in like super white-ass Utah, and I'm white, my husband's white, my kids are white, if I was like my cute little teenage daughter who's 
possibly blonde. It's blonde now. I don't know when it'll be in her teens. <laughs> She's missing. Like, no one can get a hold of her. That'd be a fucking huge news story until she was found, you know? It's that's yeah. sad. But Bonita's and Brittany are black, right? Yeah, Bonita Jax is, is a black woman. And unfortunately, that has something to do with it. It really does. Just in our society. Yeah, as shitty as it is, um, that still is a factor. And that's terrible. Because it shouldn't be. Like, we're in the fucking 21st century. Come on. Yeah, I'm like a chubby 31-year-old white lady. And I still feel like if I went missing tomorrow, there'd be a huge search for me. (laughs) (laughs) Just because of the world I live in. That's like a privilege for some people, you know? I don't think people would search for me. <laughs> they would. <laughs> You're adorable. We would need to find you, Amber. They'd be like, oh, she's missing? Thank God. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. I'm totally kidding. Um, I'm trying to make light of the situation, okay? Because it's terrible. I know, I made it a little too real, but if we're... If we're discussing this, we need to bring the reality of the situation. It's a poor black family. Somebody went missing and people didn't pay attention to it. Yeah, exactly. But that social worker did really try. Yeah, one person tried really hard and no one else but gave it, a fuck. It, only, it takes more than that. Exactly. It needs media attention. It needs the police to give a fuck. Yeah. So um, a police officer did end up going back to Benita Jack's home on April 30th of 2007. So he interviewed her in her front yard uh, at this occasion. So he didn't go in the house. Um, He didn't see any of the children per se. Like he just made it there and talked to Benita and everything was fine. So the officer never filed a report of this visit on April 30th of 2007. Never filed a report. Great. No, not great at all. So he finally did file a report in January of 2008. Because uh, he probably remembered that afternoon visit from almost a year before. Well, well enough to yeah. document. But the only thing that prompted that report was because federal marshals were sent to her home to evict, to evict her. And so... Federal um, marshals. Since when do federal marshals do eviction? I don't know. I don't oh, know. Okay, cool. But um, so they were sent to her home to evict her. Okay. So I'm I'm getting ahead of my notes. So I'm gonna back up. But so that police officer never filed a report of this visit from April 30th, 2007, until January. 2008 and the only reason why he probably filed it at that point is because in january of 2008 was when the the children's bodies were found in her home oh god so like why even file that report at that yeah right because there's proof of the 911 call that you were supposed to respond to i guess but like but, like, you can't fi- just like, ass now. Why not be like, I filed a report. It must have got lost. <laughs> like, instead of being like, oh, I'll just file it down. No problem. Yeah. I I don't know what that guy's thought process was. But, so, um, apparently in that police officer's initial report, 
he says that he saw the younger girls on his visit, but not the oldest, Brittany. So that's all fine and dandy. But he did a follow-up on January 13th um, for the report, not like a follow-up visit. Yeah. But he did a follow-up report, and he mentioned that he thought he saw Brittany. And he even went into detail and was like, oh, yeah, I saw her. Um, and he described her as clean, well-fed, healthy, and playful. Dude, it was nine months ago on some random call you didn't even think was worth making a report. You don't remember what she looked like. Exactly. You don't remember anything from that day. You didn't fucking see her. Fuck off. But he says all of these nice things and wonderful things like, oh, yeah, I saw her. She was fine. She was well fed. She was clean. She was healthy, playful. No. Like, what? What the hell? Oh, maybe I could have realized somebody had been murdered at that point in time and prevented the murder of the three other children in the home. So I'm going to make this false report so I don't look like I could have prevented all these things. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's not going to work out for you, buddy. Um, But it probably did. He's probably still just a cop. Probably. Who fucking knows? Yeah, like it probably worked out fine for him. He probably had no repercussions from about not doing anything about this yeah unfortunately probably so on may 10th of 2007 that was my due date with my first baby may 10th oh. not 2007 but may 10th but may 10th <laughs> <laughs> no in 2007 britney's social worker wrote a letter to social services expressing her concern that she thought that britney might be being held hostage mm-hmm. in her home. Um, but this was never investigated. <sighs> this and, poor social worker. Like, she just cares, you know? Yeah. And so she was on it the whole time. She was concerned. She was following up. For but, so long. But nothing ever came of it. And she was just brushed off. So she um, writes this letter, but obviously it was never investigated. And then in May 2007... Benita started doing weird stuff. So Benita Jacks is the mom and she started moving her furniture from inside her house to outside in her backyard. Hmm. She started losing a bunch of weight and her neighbors had noticed and she told her neighbors that she had cancer. And so they were like, Oh, okay. Like that's terrible. Um, so the neighbors mentioned that, Around this time, they noticed, like, a foul smell in the area. Oh, God. But they just assumed that it's, like, a rat or something. They don't think anything of it. And they're just like, "Eh, it's fine. This lady's kind of dirty. Like, she just probably has a dead rat in her house. Who knows? Spring from cancer and not cleaning. Yeah, it's fine. She's got four kids. Give her a break. Uh, so. What the? Yeah, so one of the last people to see any of these children alive was a neighbor and a family friend who was actually delivering social security checks to Benita twice a month. Hmm. Um, So in June 2007, the family friend that had been delivering these checks said she did see the youngest two girls at that time in June 2007 in the living room, but she said... Like, I haven't seen Brittany for a few months. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So she's like, but I did see the two youngest girls. So 
I mean, there's Brittany, and then there's still the other second oldest. So at this point, Brittany's like 16, 17, and then the second youngest is like 11, and then the two young ones are like five and six. They're like real close together. So time goes on, and none of the children are going to school. But when the school came to look into it, Bonita just goes, oh, I'm going to remove them from school and we're going to we're going to do homeschooling. But like there's a system where you have to check in with homeschooling. What? Yeah, well, not not so much. So that's that's like the extent of her explanation. Like, oh, no, I'm going to go and remove them. We're going to do homeschooling. It's all cool. So nothing else comes about about that. Mm-hmm. So they're just like. Cool, cool. Homeschool it is. Go on about your day. That's fine. Sweet. Less kids to worry about. Thank- awesome. Make my job easier. Okay, thanks. Bye. Um, so throughout this time period, there's tons of concerns, but nothing completely addressed. It's all just fucking brushed under the rug. Cool. So this is obviously a huge, huge, huge failure in so many ways because there's so many red flags and so much things that could have been done or pursued. Yeah, at least looked into way sooner. Like, yeah. so much sooner. So much sooner. So, anyways, time continues to go by. The family, the friends, social workers, um, they don't see the girls. Benita has been struggling for a while. She lost her husband, or not her husband, she lost her baby daddy, boyfriend, whatever. She lost her food stamps, so she couldn't even feed her children, and then one of, either like the neighbors testified or someone testified, and they're like, she said she lost her food stamps, but she didn't want to sign up again because she didn't want to do the paperwork. um, Because there was too much paperwork involved. So, like how, like, this is my name. This is how I haven't been employed and I don't have money. Please give me. I mean, that's really belittling people on food stamps, but like literally it's just like, okay, this is my last place of employment. This is how much I make monthly. I need food stamps to feed my family. That's the paperwork you fill out. Literally. And I mean, obviously if it's between feeding yourself and your family and not, you're going to fucking do the paperwork. Yeah. Eat the pride and feed your children. Like, no shame. Just fucking put some food on the table. Easily. Easily. So she's like, oh, I don't want to do the paperwork. So basically, she just neglected herself and her family because she couldn't afford her rent. She couldn't afford groceries. Obviously, like, she was getting Social Security checks, but who knows how much those were and if they continued or when they stopped. Well, they weren't a lot, and we just paying the most urgent thing like okay keep the fucking water running you know right exactly so i mean social security can only cover so much you can't live your life on social security yeah, it's not a lot of money and you can't raise four children okay, on social amazing. security for sure that's really uh, sad this is a really sad just in the failure of our system yeah it's terrible so here we are again months later in january 9th 2008 so as I said before, the federal marshals pay Benita Jacks a visit, and they're serving her an eviction notice. So when the federal marshals started doing that, I don't know. It's um, probably because it's C, and there's maybe. not state marshals because it's not in a state. Oh, I guess makes sense. Yeah, it's different in D.C. because there's no state police. 
interesting. Yeah. It's all coming together. <laughs> so during this time when she was getting served, she opens the door and she's very like not looking good. She's only wearing a white t-shirt and just like not in the best shape. And so she refused to let the federal marshals in the home. Obviously, she's just like probably cracks the door open and is like, hi, hello. And then they bust through. They're like, okay, what the fuck is going on in here? So they force themselves inside the home and they immediately are like, oh, like they get hit with a wall of fucking disgust. And they're just like, oh my God, what is this fucking smell? And so they're like, it smelled like rotting meat. And at first thought, they were like, geez, Louise, this lady has some rotting food up in here. Like, she hasn't cleaned in months. I don't know. Oh, wait, where are her children? And so, yeah, I'm sure after they realized what the smell really was, they wish it was a bunch of rotting food. Um, So they made their way upstairs. And unfortunately... They found the body of three young girls. And the worst part about it is these poor girls were strategically lined up according to age. And they were all wearing just white t-shirts. That's it. And so they have these three little girls. And then in another bedroom, they find Brittany. And she was found nude lying in a pool of blood underneath a white t-shirt. That's a theme in this house, apparently. Um, and at this point, literally, Brittany's been dead for months. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, she's been gone forever, like, a really long time. I think it's, like, eight months oh at this God. point. Oh, my God. And so, this woman is living with dead bodies in her home for almost a year. Like, a full three quarters of a year. Yeah. So, Benita's like, oh, they all died in their sleep. And, you know. I tried to I tried to revive them, but I was unsuccessful. So okay, so you try to revive your children. You line them up by age and leave them on the bedroom floor upstairs. You don't call the authorities. You don't call anybody. You don't you don't reach out for help. Like um, something's not adding up here. Well, and that's the thing. It's like not like she was expecting their visit. So it's not like she just lined them up knowing they were about to be found. It's like she just left them that way. Yeah. And she was just in her own white t-shirt waiting to die? Like, what? Like, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. Because, obviously, she couldn't have been leaving the house often. She's mentally unwell. There's severe mental health problems here. But this is terrible. So, she's definitely mentally unwell, but she's not insane. Um, So... Obviously, they're like, oh, fuck. All right, here, what do we got here? So, obviously, she gets arrested, and, I mean, they got to figure things out. And apparently, the whole time, she's just like, I didn't kill my children. They died in their sleep. There were demons inside of them. Like, they died in their sleeps. I I didn't kill them. And so, she goes... (laughs) I, like, I have no words. Yeah. She's like, oh, she, I didn't kill those demons, but, like, they should have died, so it's good. Like, what? 
it's either they died in their sleeps or they had demons inside of them and you had to kill them. Not like they had demons and they killed themselves. Like, what? Yeah, I I don't I don't really follow her logic. She doesn't have logic. There's no yeah. logic. There ends up being no jury and only the judge um, because Benita is like, no, I don't want a jury, which is probably for the best. Yeah, I think in a case of four children murders, there's going to be too much uh her personal feelings yeah. in a jury for that yeah so no, you're better to go with just the judge yeah so she refuses a jury and so it's just the judge making his decision so i guess the case lasted like eight days the trial was eight days so her trial was for 12 charges including premeditated first degree murder felony murder Cruelty to children towards each of her daughters, so times four. And so her trial began on July 15th of 2009. Uh, she, pled, she pled not guilty, and she also rejected an insanity defense. What? That was, like, her only shot. Yeah, and she rejected it. Like, literally but, the only way I could see her not going to prison for the rest of her life is saying insanity, because I think she's insane. I th- there's got to be some sort of, like, deep-seated mental illness i mean there's gotta be something but i can't believe she didn't go for that defense that's that's crazy so she rejected that but in the end she was guilty on all charges except the first degree murder of her oldest because um all of the children like the the younger girls they died of strangulation and then Brittany, she had been stabbed but like because the bodies were so decomposed by the time they found them, they couldn't confirm, like, if those stabs were her cause of death. So that's why she didn't get charged for first-degree murder for that, because there was the knife, but... Could have been defensive, or... Or she could have stabbed herself, because she was just... I don't know. I don't know. Um. Yeah, whatever. She was needed. Yeah, so no, she fucking 100% did yeah, it. Yeah, like, so, no, no question in my mind. Yeah. Um, I can't believe she didn't try and get an insanity. Like, I really am just like, how? Like, how did she not go for insanity? Yeah, that literally would have been her only semi out of this situation. But I mean, I'm glad she didn't because she doesn't deserve anything more than prison and whatever she gets in there yeah i Uh, mean if she's like legitimately completely unstable like has no grip on reality then like she should be in a mental institution not a prison because yeah that's true she definitely if that's the case she needs the mental help because she's just gonna be a problem in prison and it's not gonna be good for her or anyone else Right. But, like, I can't believe she didn't go for insanity in defense. That's so crazy to me. Blows my mind. Yeah. So, she did not. And so, on December 18th of 2009, she was sentenced to 120 years. So, 30 years for each murder. And then, after this terrible tragedy, in April 2009, there was a report that was released implicating... um. CFSA, and I was going to look that up before, right before we started, because I was just finishing my thing. So I think it's like child 
something services family and other government parties um for failing to meet obligations in the case and potentially preventing the four murders because obviously there were so many red flags these could have been prevented that's, possibly that's rough those, those cases are the worst yeah because they're, they're overwhelmed and no one wants to do that job so they don't have enough and even if you do push they're like no 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 and you're like okay motherfucker yeah she tried so hard the one social worker tried so hard yeah. for a long time and no one right into so, it enough. no one found the kids she was worried about yeah so that's like the hardest thing and most gut-wrenching like terrible thing about these cases because that field just everywhere is overwhelmed and overworked and like you you hear the stories about caseworkers that have 75 kids that they're trying to or 75 cases that they're trying to keep up on and then like how does so one fall, like there's no way they can keep track of them regularly so you just how does one person do that like, like okay well this these kids are still with their biological mother chances are they're gonna be okay i'm gonna go to these kids who have literally been living in a car for the last two months and now they're in a foster home with a bunch of other kids that don't have family members i'm gonna follow up with them first because i don't have enough time to do everything so you're going to prioritize. And these were literally kids living with their biological mom in a steady home. So they're going to naturally go down on your list of priorities. Exactly. But I mean, obviously this case just goes to show like that's not always rainbows and butterflies. Well, and just like the Susan Powell case, that was their dad. Exactly. So, but anyways, um, so this report gets filed or released implicating these government parties for failing to meet these obligations. And so based on where the family was living, it was there. I I think it was income based. I don't, that's not confirmed. That's just like my assumption in these income based row housing, they were supposed to receive monthly visits, but they never did. So obviously they had to meet certain requirements to continue to live there, so on and so forth. And the school system didn't properly follow through when the girls dropped out and the police didn't fully investigate. So when they were initially called out to the house, they didn't initially investigate fully. And then also health care providers didn't follow up. And the list just goes on and on with all the red flags and things that weren't properly done here yeah and i feel like what i previously said sounds like i'm really defending the system and it needs to be better children need to be protected above all else and they should not have been failed in that way i just feel really bad for the one social service person that's trying to push and they don't have the support they need they should have the resources they shouldn't be overwhelmed on their caseload they there should be more of them you know, they should have enough time to see every single person on their list, not have to try and prioritize who deserves their attention. That's okay. not okay. So the system is broken. Yeah. I definitely needs fixing. I don't blame them for suing the system at all. Cause it's like the there's so many situations where if the system worked, kids could have been saved. And kids are the most important people in our society to save. I think they're innocent. They can't defend themselves. They yeah. they need 
someone to help them, you know, and it's heartbreaking that our, our society, our system isn't set up to financially support that, but it doesn't make money. So there's not money behind it and it's, it fails kids. Yeah. Because one, it doesn't make money. And two, the people that work there are just tirelessly trying to make things better and they don't have the re- the resources. They don't have the backup. Yeah. They don't have the support yeah. to, to get their point across and to do good things. And then they like, burn out. And so there's no way of getting, I mean, financially, you need to have the money there to hire enough people to do the job, which they probably don't. Right. But the people that you do have working are working too hard because there's not enough people and then they burn out and quit or don't care because there's just too much on their plate. And I don't blame them for that. Right. That's not their fault. That's the system. The system needs to be better. So hopefully it's improved since 2007 in DC. Yeah, hopefully. So um, just again, the list goes on and on about things that just went awry in this and that weren't, followed and who knows what changes could have been made or what could have been differently but um so the report lists all those things and then it also just faults kind of lack of coordination between the various agencies involved with the family so there's all these different government agencies there's the school there's the food stamps there's the housing there's all these things and Obviously, that's all in the system. They all have access and information to all of those things, and there's just no coordination between any of them. So it was just that was kind of like a big wrench in the, in yeah. the scenario, too. There was all these little flags, but nobody seeing all of them. No one put them together. On the same yeah. yeah, so it's just like, all right, well, yeah, that's a problem, but this person sees one problem, and they don't see the five others. Exactly, so they don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, so they're like, this is minute compared to what I've got going on over here, so it's fine. But in reality, if all of the pieces of the puzzle were put together and cohesive, real, real big. <laughs> yeah, it would have it would have been noticed and kind of addressed. So my story is a big downer this week. Because that's an awful story. But, yeah, here we are. And that's, <laughs> that's what I told you about. But that's what I have. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I can't really sugarcoat it. Uh, it makes, yeah. It makes me want to be, like, the type of person that's strong enough to do that kind of job and fight for children. And I am not. I, like, literally, like, one kid in a semi-bad situation and I'm a fucking mess. Like, I just Dude, couldn't do it. Yeah. Nope. I couldn't even do it. I can't. I can't even do it with animals. Like, did you see the article about the fucking guy in Tuwila that stole the family's dog, lit it on fire, and let it go on the side of the fucking freeway? No. But I just saw uh, the update to that article where the family that, was saying to goodbye. to put the dog down. I didn't hear the rest of the story. I just saw an article that said, like, family says goodbye to a dog that was lit on fire. Yeah, some piece of shit fucking 
he was trying to get back at his like ex-girlfriend or something. So he steals their fucking dog, lights it on fire and lets it go on the side of the freeway. And this poor dog gets rescued. And then it's just like has burns all over its body. And this surgery, it was in like kidney failure because its body was trying to fight this disease. Mm -hmm. So the kidneys were failing. And then like it's, eyes it was gonna either need to get them removed or it was gonna need like a skin graft from its belly to like put on its face or whatever to make it even semi like who couldn't even afford to try and help that dog live like really um yeah thanks for bringing us back up amber yeah so i mean i couldn't i couldn't even deal with animals let alone like children like i'm not strong enough for that nope me neither. Not strong enough at all. Well, and not to add, like, like not to mention that the parents are going to be dicks. Some of the kids are probably going to be dicks. Like, oh yeah, all those kids are going to be little assholes because that's all they know. They just have this defense mechanism because yeah. they just expect you to fail them. So yeah, why would so they be nice like, to you? Fuck you? I yelled at a child today. <laughs> I still, I still think this story is freaking hilarious. <laughs> you didn't really yell at him. You were just like, hey, it's too late to be knocking on the door. <laughs> so Amber and I were about to start recording tonight. It's like 7.50 p.m. here in Utah. I got both of my kids down. They both went down without a fight tonight for the first time in, like, two months. It's been a fucking struggle lately, and it was like, hallelujah, they went to bed easy. Amber's like, give me a minute, and we can get on and record. So I'm waiting, and someone starts knocking on my fucking door. My dog loses his fucking mind, wakes up both of my my dogs, my kids. (laughs) And so I I thought he was barking at me. Because I was shut in this room. I thought he heard me doing something and it was barking at me. So I go out. He's still barking at the door like someone's there. So I get on our ring doorbell and I look and there's some man standing at the door with a fanny pack slung over his shoulder. And I was, my ring took a minute to load because ring kind of sucks. And so he was gone by the time I actually like was able to pull it up and see who it was. And both my kids wake up. I had a bad day. I was not in the mood. (laughs) And I have a no soliciting sign. My no soliciting sign says no soliciting. Wake the baby and I will cut you. So obviously anybody that knocks on my door knows I have at least one baby and knows I don't want solicitors. And it's almost 8 fucking p.m. So I go and open the door and I look around and I'm like, if I see this guy, I'm going to say something. (laughs) So I see the guy walking from my neighbor's house to the next neighbor's house. And I'm like, hey. It's too fucking late to be knocking on doors. And then I hear, whoa. <laughs> in this prepubescent, like, 12-year-old boy voice. <laughs> and I'm like, like, I yelled, like, hey, it's too fucking late to be knocking on doors. And I'm not even that kind of person. I just had a really bad day. You woke <laughs> up the kids. And I, that's who was getting my wrath, was a solicitor. And then it was a fucking, like, 12-year-old kid. And he's like, <laughs> Whoa! I'm just saying these school cards, man. I'm sorry. And he was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were an adult." And he was like, "I'm selling to like cards for my team, whatever." And I was like, "I'm really sorry. I, I thought you were grown up. 
you woke up both of my babies. It's too late to be knocking on people's doors. And he was like, okay. And I was like, I'm really sorry, I swore. And he was like, <laughs> okay. And he just walked away up the street and I just cried a little bit. Um, but so I yelled at a child today. I, I should not be a social worker, probably. He was taller than me. If you're taller than me, I assume you're adult, right? Yep. He looked like yeah. an adult on my ring. I blame ring. It's ring's fault. I yelled at a kid. I don't know. Everybody's taller than me. I mean, <laughs> the solicitors come to my door and ask me for my parents. Well, I'm half an inch taller than you. Oh, um, are your are your parents home? Yep. One sec. <laughs> let me let me go grab him. <laughs> hey, honey. Uh, uh. Can you open the door, please? Okay, thanks. Okay. Well, it's way too late, and I've told the world I yelled at a child, so. Should wrap this bad boy up, huh? Yeah, I guess so. I don't have any good jokes this week. <laughs> Why does Santa have such a big sack? Oh, jeez. Because uh... he only comes once a year. <laughs> I apologize for that joke. Uh... <laughs> Alright, next week we're in a state, not a city. Um... <laughs> Virginia, maybe? Uh, that sounds Did we already do Virginia? I don't even know. We are in Maryland. 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 Next week we're in Maryland. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. You want to learn more about our cases this week, click on our show notes and we link to them there. Follow us on social media. Send us any messages if you want to talk to us because we are more than willing and able to talk to you. We love you guys. Bye. Bye.